For so many people, Sex in the City has become a model for the ideal New York City experience. And as much as I love a handbag and Cosmos with my friends, here we're pulling back the curtain. Forget the glamour shots and cue these real stories of artists navigating the concrete jungle, conquering Broadway, and finding their spotlight. This isn't just a podcast, it's your front row seat to a community of individuals sharing how they're living their authentic truth. This is the Bradshaw Effect, where you're not just a listener, you're the main character of your own story. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of The Bradshaw Effect. Everyone, I am so excited about today's episode because I have one of my favorite human beings on the planet with me today. And um, we met each other through some mutual friends and some classes, and now we're embarking on collaborative endeavors together. And I'm just so thankful for this human being taking their time to be with me today. Wesley, how are you? Hello. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm um, sorry if you hear some like little feet in the background. My cat has the zoomies right now. Wait, that's so cute. <laughs> He's running I, around. I just want to dive right in and talk about sure. your journey to this crazy city that we call New York and this crazy industry that we call performing arts theater, whatever you want to deem it. What is your your journey with that? I know that's a very large question, but <laughs> how did um, you stumble into it? I am a Jersey boy through and through. I, I grew up uh, just outside of Princeton in a little town called Hamilton, New Jersey. And um, I started, well, you know, I don't really remember much of it, but from what my mom tells me, I used to watch the Annie VHS tape, um, the one with Kathy Bates and the best one uh, Kristen Chenoweth yes the only one <laughs> sorry to the the fans of the Carol Burnett one but um I used to watch it and I would like rewind and I would like learn the choreography and I would like force my family to watch me do it <laughs> as it would play on the tv so um I guess I always had like the performing bug in me and then I found um an acting class at McCarter that I forced my mom to put me in when I was like six years old um, so, and then after that, um, the teacher like pulled my mom aside and was like, you should put him in dance classes. So thank God for that. Uh, because most of my career has been dance related. Um, but yeah, ever since then I've, I've been doing it pretty much nonstop except for, you know, as, as luck would have it this year has been kind of dry, but that's okay. You know, focusing on me and myself this year is a big year of change, um, in my personal life. So that's always good. But yeah, I, I lived in Brooklyn for like a year right after college when I was working um, at City Center. I did a few tours like throughout. I, I did uh, the Gypsy tour when I was in middle school and then I did the A Chorus Line tour. I left college early to do that and we did um, a US and Japan leg. And so, yeah, I, I'm sort of like done theater all over. I have done it from like the smallest community theater to like the grandest New York City center stage. So, you know, I've seen the highs and the lows and everything in between, and it's all been a great ride. I, I love every second of it. An icon. Wow. I want to <laughs> actually ask you, so I didn't know that the Chorus Line tour went over to Japan. Um, yeah. What was that like going overseas to do a show? Um, well, I had never been to Asia before, so that was like crazy to begin with. And, and we were there for a month and we visited I, I believe five five or six cities um 
so you can imagine like it was such a whirlwind being there yeah um we visited we stayed in the, these beautiful apartments in um Tokyo or just outside of Tokyo um and I stayed with actually one of my college friends Veronica a shout out uh joined the tour when we went to Japan she joined as Maggie and actually I got a promotion from a swing I I got promoted up to the role of Don um so we we just like lived our lives and Veronica had actually uh performed at the theater before she did the West Side Story world tour um so she sort of knew Japan and she sort of knew like the area that we were in or the areas that we were in so it was nice to kind of like have essentially a tour guide like bring me around to all of the the hidden gems we went to this like absinthe speakeasy that you couldn't find on google maps or anything we went to this like jazz club like all night one night it was just really it was a fun experience and um yeah I wish I got to spend more time there I wish that um yeah I had stayed longer after but you know things happen and I had to come home but um you know I hope to go back I hope to visit again it was really cool and all I have to say about it is that Japan or Tokyo specifically puts New York to shame it's so clean you could literally lick the ground there's no trash anywhere literally no trash um and like if you're walking down the street like eating something like people stare at you because that's like against culture really because they don't they don't do that um yeah or like people will take their trash with them and throw it out like when they get home or when when there's a trash can like they don't just like throw shit on the ground can I curse yeah of course okay (laughs) yeah they don't just like (laughs) on the ground and they wait in a single file line for the subway and they literally like people come off in a single file line and people go on in a single file line and they let people off first before they ram onto the subway car um what manners I know and you could like lick the ground of the subway it is so clean like I can't overstated enough and it's so like clear where you're going even though it's all in like Japanese like you know where you're going it's so obvious like unlike New York where it's like all right and today we're not stopping our you know (laughs) you're like missing your stop left and right that was the perfect impression of the MTA drivers on the train like that was spot on thank you thank you maybe I'll (laughs) look into voiceover work next (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah it was it was so cool I I hope I have an opportunity to go back at some point or or visit some other places like I really hope I get to travel more in my career so you know if anybody's listening out there I'm available so I also didn't know because I'm finding out some stuff about you asking these questions that you did the Mm -hmm. national tour of gypsy oh my god yeah in middle school (laughs) I was a kid I was a kid yeah tell me about that what was that like getting such a such a huge thing you know as a kid Uh it's it's not something I really advertised because it feels like an entire lifetime ago, right? Like it was redacted years ago, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but, well, I remember vividly, like it was supposed to be the year of my bar mitzvah and I had mm-hmm. done all the, my Hebrew school training to like get ready for my bar mitzvah. And then I booked a national tour and I was like, screw that, I'm going on tour. So I never had a bar mitzvah. So maybe like when I'm older, I'll have a bar mitzvah and celebrate with some friends but anyway I digress there you go. um I don't know like I remember like I auditioned for it and my my parents really didn't want me to or my dad really didn't want me to to do it because it was like such a commitment right like taking mm-hmm. me out of school for a year and touring the U.S. big thing um and like one of them would have to go with me the whole time like I had to have a guardian because I was underage um but 
you know, my mom convinced him to let me go. She was like, he's not going to book it. Like all these kids are going to go audition. He's don't worry. He's not going to book it. Like, it'll just be a nice opportunity for him to go and like audition in New York. And of course I booked it. Not of course, but like, <laughs> of course, like nobody thought I was going to book it, including me. And of course I did book it. So yeah, it was just, it was a wild experience. I mean, I felt like, I felt like the hottest shit, of course. Oh yeah, I would too. <laughs> um, And like, no, nobody in my school understood me. Like they, you know, they called me faggot all the time. They like made fun of me for doing theater. And like, that was just like a big F you to all of them. And, and also it was like kind of a grounding moment for myself being like, yeah, I'm in the right place. I'm doing the right thing. I, I can actually make this happen even with all this adversity coming my way. So yeah. I don't know. It was, it was like really eye opening, and, you know, I felt very like grown up at such a young age. I, I, you know, parents weren't allowed backstage. So even though they were traveling around with us um, all the time we spent at the theater, we were on our own. They treated us like adults, which was crazy. I was like in the adult male chorus dressing room. I was the, I was the only little boy because all the other newsboys like understudied baby rose or baby louise or baby rose baby june and baby louise so i was the only boy so i don't know it was just like really eye-opening and exciting and i had a few professional credits before that i had worked a little bit at the walnut street theater in philly um a few times and another philly theater that doesn't exist anymore i did um and you get your gun with andrea mccardle i played her little brother Oh my gosh. Um, so yeah. So I had like a few professional credits to my name at that point, but that definitely felt like the biggest thing that I had ever mm -hmm. accomplished. And I'll never forget um, my, this is like, this stays with me to this day. Okay. It's like over 10 years later. Um, I was warming up on stage before one of the shows and there was like this beautiful main drape because it's gypsy, right? It's like golden age, beautiful, gorgeous musical theater. Um so there was like this beautiful main drape and I did a coffee grinder in the show, which for people who don't know, it's like, it's like, I don't want to say like a break dancing move, but I guess you could kind of like call it that. It's like when you swing your leg around and your other leg like hops over it, you're like on your, on your hands and you're like, jump, like, it's called a coffee grinder. Look it up. I'm not <laughs> explaining it well, but I would practice it before every show. And one night before the show, like two, we were at places. So like two minutes before the show starts and the audience is all seated. I was practicing my coffee grinder and my foot caught the drape and flung it open. <laughs> so it just like opened the curtain so everybody could see all of us standing there in our places. And all of the adults like turned and looked at me with these like begrudging eyes. And I was like, oh my God. So now I will never warm up on stage <laughs> if there's a curtain. <laughs> um, and I'll never ever do anything like that again <laughs> in my life. So yeah, lessons learned as well on that tour. So That's young. hilarious. Once you did Gypsy and then you did a chorus line, how, whenever you kind of got back here, you know, to Jersey, to the city, um, mm -hmm. what were your kind of like next steps? Like, how did you feel kind of coming off of those things and like going into that new chapter of your life? So my year doing a chorus line was kind of a whirlwind. So I had done a summer stock production of A Chorus Line right before they were auditioning for the tour. And I was going into my senior year of college and I saw that they had cast the tour already. And I was like devastated about that because I really felt like A Chorus Line was my show. And I knew Bayork was doing it. Bayork Lee, love of my life. And I really wanted to do it with her. That was like one of my dreams. 
I used to watch every little step in college. If anyone knows that documentary, like when I was feeling disillusioned with theater, I used to watch that and it would remind me why I wanted to do it. So that was like one of my dreams was to do the show with her, with Bob Avian. So I auditioned for the tour. They were looking for swings when I got back and I like skipped school for like a week. I had callbacks for like a week straight. And then they had me come in and film this like promotional advertisement commercial. Um, And I hadn't booked the show yet, but everyone I was with had booked the show. And then as I was leaving, like one of the assistants was like, see you soon to me specifically. And then I got a call that I booked um, the tour. And then, so I did that. I did that for like six months. And then we had like a layover, a layoff um, where I booked another show in Albany, New York. I did a production of Damn Yankees that like literally like butted up against the dates of my US leg ending to my Japan leg starting. So that was nice. And then I went to Japan and then I came home and I auditioned for City Center and booked it like two days later without, I didn't even have a callback. I thought I didn't book it. And then two days later I was in ShopRite and they were like, hey, and I'm like crying over cold cuts. Um, <laughs> so then after that, I was like, oh my God, like my career is start right? Like I left college early and I was like, my career started, like, I'm just going to be booking nonstop. And then I didn't book for a year, a year and a half actually. So it was kind of like, it was a crazy whirlwind where like it was the highest of the highs and then it led to like the lowest of the lows and mm-hmm. I sort of for the first time kind of in my life like I wasn't in school I wasn't rehearsing a show like I sort of had to just like sit with myself and who I am and who I am outside of performing in the arts and like what yeah my, my life is gonna look like and that was kind of a rude awakening for me. It was, it was like a really scary time. It was a really depressing time. Um, I ended, I was living in the city at the time and then I ended up moving out. I like, I like got bed bugs. We had a mice infestation in my apartment. It was like so rough. Um, and my brother passed away and it was just like, literally it was like horrible things happening. Bing, bang, boom. And I like, couldn't book a job to save my life. I was unrepresented. I had just joined the union And so I kind of like, I like fell off of my high tower, which, which I needed, right? Like in hindsight, I needed it. But at the time I, I thought like my life was over and I thought I would never perform again. And then ultimately I did perform again. I got cast in a production of Cabaret and on opening night we closed because COVID happened. (laughs) So that was my first show back and then it closed. And then again, I didn't work for almost three years. Yeah. So that was kind of crazy, but I, I've had a lot of time to like sit with myself outside of performing. And I, I had time to like, think about like the projects I want to attach myself to and what I want my performance career to look like in the future. And I don't think I'm necessarily interested in like every show that comes along. I'm interested in stuff that I feel is right for me, stuff that I feel says something or that I really want to be involved with or or theaters that are interesting to me that are producing work that I'm interested in Um, and I think that's really important as a performer because ultimately it's it's your career and it's your name so I don't know I think I'm more like I have no ground to stand on saying this but I think I'm more choosy with what I decide to go in for these days um, because of all of that 
and and I've been writing more and I've been focusing more on that, as you know, as we've talked about, but yeah. So I don't know if that answered your question, but. No, very much so. <laughs> I mean, I, I completely agree. I think that resonates with me, especially about being a little bit more choosy with the things that you go in for, not because for sure. I think that I'm better than certain things by any means. Mm-hmm. It's the simple fact that I know the projects that draw my attention and the content of shows that I want to be a part of and I want to spend my time on and invest my time on. Um, And, you know, I think us also having that writer part of our brains, there's also a power in being able to create the works that we don't see that we want Mm -hmm. to be. Totally. Um, And being able to feel that we have control to fix it. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. I think that there's something that once you kind of have that realization that it opens up a much broader path in front of you to feel like, oh, well, then there's so many more possibilities when before I felt like I was being restricted with how much I was able to do, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, totally, totally. I also feel like I am just more aware of my artistic voice from my writing. And mm-hmm. in turn, that's made me a little less excited about certain projects. And that's no shade to anybody who does these projects, like literally more power to you. It's just you know, I don't always want to attach myself to everything. I'm not always interested in everything. And that's the beauty of art, right? Yep. Different things speak to different people. I uh, like, I'm about to get deep for a second. So like fast forward a minute, if you don't want to hear this, but I had this like sort of realization. I, so I mentioned my brother passed away. It actually happened while I was in Japan. And this has to do with like you talking about the lyrics. I'm not just like diving into my trauma for fun, but (laughs) Um, so he passed away while I was in Japan. I got the call while I was in Japan. We had like three performances left. Mm -hmm. Um, so I ended up leaving the contract a few days early and flying back to Japan. And I, I think until then the lyrics of what I did for love hadn't really resonated with me because I like, I was 22 doing that tour. Like that, that didn't mean anything to me. Like when I wasn't working, I was in school my entire life up to that point. Right. And then for the first time I was sitting on a plane flying back to literally my, my family, my brother's funeral, like all that grief and realizing that I wasn't there for it because I was away doing the thing I love and like having to like reconcile that and those emotions on a a plane back to the United States alone. Um, But I think like moments like that sort of make me realize like there's so much after education and training that like you can't learn you just have to experience and it, it'll like broaden your artistic mind and your not, not to equate equate my grief with all of this but um I don't know I just think that it like really informs like who you become as a performer and and that's another reason why I I want to make sure I'm investing in projects that speak to me because I want to make sure I'm investing my art in something that matters Absolutely. to me at least it doesn't have to matter to everyone but it should matter to me right as the artist and a lot of things do but some things matter more than others because at the end sense. of the day we're giving a part of our soul to it so why invest a part of your soul right. and your happiness and your time into something that is not going to fulfill you the way that it something else mm-hmm. could exactly you know we all have our struggles in life but like it's what comes out of them that that makes us stronger and and makes us uh, more impactful with our art. I hope, I hope my art is impactful, especially when I'm writing. And I think that's a great segue into talking about writing because I would love to talk about that with you. Um, 
when did writing kind of kick in for you? Because I know for me, it kind of clicked in, in a time where I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to perform, that that made me happy and brought me joy. But at the same time, to go back to what we were talking about before, I felt like there weren't pieces of work being created that I I wanted there to be. And so it kind of translated naturally, I feel like, into me being like, well, what if I told this story this way? Or what if I told this story this way? Which is kind of how vacancy stumbled to become. So mm-hmm. I would love to kind of hear how you came into that. Also, everyone keep an eye out for vacancy because it's going to be brilliant <laughs> when it comes to Broadway. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I guess, so as as I was like a child, like rewinding Annie and making my family watch me do that, I also would um, force the children in the neighborhood to perform plays in my basement that I wrote for their parents and my parents. So I've always sort of been writing slash directing. Um And I had a friend growing up through like middle high school who we would, we would write like film scripts together. Um, And she's a a wonderful writer now. She is now living in New York. Um, But yeah, so I think I actually started to pursue it seriously in that year after a chorus line when I wasn't really working. I, Mm -hmm. I had time to sit and think about like, projects that I wanted to be involved in and I was sort of thinking about the fact that like there are certain stories that I felt needed to be told that weren't being told from perspectives that I found interesting and like you know usually I write just for me right like as long as I like it like I hope that someone else will but ultimately like I have to like it right um and I think it just kind of stemmed from that like I I started writing a play I had been toying with it for like kind of like towards the end of college and then like after I wasn't working I started looking at it seriously and I submitted it to a festival and I got accepted and then COVID happened and I had time to like sort of reconstruct the piece and like make it even better and then after COVID we got to perform it um and then I started taking some writing classes uh specifically like playwriting classes um which like sidebar, I think I could be interested in writing for like TV or film, but I really love theater and I think that's where my heart is. So like, you know, anytime people talk about like, yeah, anytime people talk about like film writing or screenwriting, like uh, it intrigues me, I guess, especially for the money, but Mm -hmm. the stage is what I know. So that's just where my heart is. But yeah, I've just, I've been writing more and more since since then I love yeah. I love trying to change people's views on the world on on relationships on life I like I like planting seeds of change I like I love giving actors opportunities especially actors that I feel don't have them as far as like stories that are being mm-hmm. told are concerned and I want to brag on you for a minute as someone who has read oh my God. you know several <laughs> of your writing pieces you have a writing style that is very much um, some of my favorite plays. Like it's it's very reminiscent of those. Like August Osage County is one of my all time favorite oh, plays. Thank you. Um, and Tracy Lutz, like his writing and and you know I remember whenever I first read one of like the first piece of yours that you sent over. And it's interesting you talk about the things that you're important to you when you're writing is about you know relationships and all these different you know themes and 
me say before anything, like it, it comes across very well. And and I, <laughs> I learned a lot from reading your writing because something whenever I'm writing a piece, whether it be vacancy or whatever, I relationships are for me the core foundation of what I find interesting writing. And also like building tension within a scene with words and and how tension and release can happen within a matter of two line exchanges between two characters and how uh, the and how much you can say in such little words and i i just have to brag on you because i <laughs> just love 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 your writing style and where your brain comes from whenever you're you're developing these characters and these pieces it's it's just incredible so thank you you're making me brag blush. on you <laughs> <laughs> i'm flattered tracy lets that is like that is like such an honor to be compared to him but i i like i like I feel like you can tell that like my favorite playwrights are like Tennessee Williams, like Eugene O'Neill. You can see, I feel like you can feel the influence, right? Because it's, it's just there. Like I, what I care more about is like human beings. Like I, the plot is obviously important to me, but like I come from an actor background. So I want to write roles that actors will enjoy performing for 100%. God will it extended amounts of time, right? Like a long run would be great. You know, so I want to write roles that remain interesting, that remain alive, that are fulfilling to do every night. And that's really what I, I set out for when I'm writing a piece. Um, mm -hmm. It's always character first for me over yeah. story, because I feel like if you have strong characters, they will guide the story. You don't really have to do much writing as far as like plot is concerned if your characters are like well-developed, if that makes sense. <laughs> Something that I want to ask is whenever you're approaching a piece, you know, as a writer, where your brain tends to go, because I was kind mm -hmm. of doing some reflection recently with me as a writer and the pieces that I find myself gravitating to. And like, of course, I have my pile of original work ideas, but something that my brain always tends to go to are adaptations of things. And I know for so many people that can be seen as like the easy way out because you're going off of something that is already created. But I disagree because for me, there's something powerful in being able to take something that has meant something to me prior and crafting it to, for me to see a piece of myself in it that I saw whenever I first came upon it. Are you talking about something specifically? I think you are. Keep an eye out, audiences. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, vacancy for sure. But I mean, even down to for the thing that we're about to embark on and yeah. and other ideas that I have that excite me because, and I think about, you know, you talk about how you put on plays in your living room as a kid. For me, it was taking those movies or those books that I read as a kid mm -hmm. that excited me and, and went and took the Barbie dolls or the poly, I had Polly pockets um, uh -huh. that I, and I would retell those versions of the story and like, and would be like what happened after the movie ended, or I would do my own like little prequel of what happened before the movie. And because I, I don't know that there's something in that, that excites me. The, the very much probably why wicked spoke to me at such a young age when I found it. I, you know what, what I'm, what immediately just came to my head when you were talking about that is into the woods. Mm. And I think about like the success that Into the Woods has had, but that's fully an adaption, you know, yeah. like it's, it's multiple adaptions if you want to call it that. But like, 
I don't necessarily think that adaptions are an easy way out. I think you still have to do just as much work and you, you still have to start from the ground up, right? Like you're still creating a piece of theater, film, television. Like you're still creating something that needs to have likable characters. Even if on page they're likable, it's not always so easy to translate that to, you know, the stage, the, the film, the screen, whatever. <laughs> so I don't think it's the easy way out. I wouldn't call it that. I think it's definitely a different path. I think um, there's like a lot of legalities involved, <laughs> which I don't want to get wrapped you're, up in. You're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I think that's why I avoid them just because I'm broke, mm. um, but not because I'm not interested in stuff like that, you know? And I, I think that people who say that that's a cheap way out are, are not right in saying that. I mean, well, and I also feel like it's a reflection because, yes, I feel like a lot of the work being produced is kind of sometimes does make my eyes roll depending on what we're talking about when it comes to like particularly I feel like we're in a movie musical adaptation era right now um yes <laughs> sure some of those make my eyes roll um but I I I'm not talking about movies necessarily I'm talking about just like mm -hmm. you know older Theater. works and other materials and just you know yeah oh, sure yeah but I want to ask because I have to now that I've brought this up if you could pick one thing to adapt is there one that you're like if money wasn't an option, full rights were given to you. I just read a book called These Violent Delights. Mm. Not not the series that y'all are thinking of, not the fucking science fiction bullshit fantasy BS series. Sorry to anyone who reads that, but it's not for me. I'm talking about These Violent Delights by Micah Nemer Ever, I think is the author. Um, it was, it's like, a Leopold and Leb type story that takes place in the 1970s. It's like these two college students who like become obsessed with each other. And ultimately it leads to like this very violent climax, which I won't ruin, but it was so fascinating to me. And I, I loved the characters so much and I would love to um, spend more time with them and adapting them. Mm. But I don't know. As I was reading it, I was like thinking about, wow, this would make, I wasn't mm. thinking about it as a theater piece, which is interesting. I was thinking about it as a limited series because it's told in like, I think either four or five parts. Mm -hmm. I was like, perfect. Each one is an episode. Um, and each one is so insane. You should definitely read it. You would love it. Also, I everybody should read it. It's so good. Um, <laughs> if you like thrillers, I literally like spent five hours one night reading the last like 100 pages because it, I don't think it took me five hours to read 100 pages that's an exaggeration but I was like <laughs> up until like 2 a.m like flipping through I was like fighting sleep because I was like I need to know what happens yep um it was just so good it was so good <laughs> so as we go into wrapping up I would love to kind of ask which is something I ask all my guests that I have on um, a piece of advice that you would like to leave with the the listeners. And this can be something that someone once told you um, or something that you have experienced recently that you want to pass on. Like a few things come into my head, but like first I would say just like let your work and your talents speak for themselves. I don't think you really have to um, force people to see what you see in yourself. I think if you're just confident in what you have to offer and what your work says, I think you're golden. Like just worry about you, just worry about what you're doing, focus on bettering yourself. And 
and then things will fall into place. And just like that, we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much, Wesley, for coming on and talking with me. I I love you dearly, and I can't thank you enough for taking this hour, hour and a half, however long this has been, on, on a Tuesday before your busy day to chat with me. Well, thanks for having me. It was a great, great pleasure. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to us on whatever platform you are streaming so you don't miss an episode. And I will link Wesley's social media stuff in the uh, show notes in case you want to give him a follow and keep up with his journey as uh, he treks on in in the biz. And uh, hope you all have a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to this. And I will see you all later. Bye. Bye. Bye.